Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about different CE opportunities to continue that education because our field is always growing. So if you haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, stop the listen and then come back. So today on the show, we are welcoming Elizabeth Doherty, and we are so excited to have her with us. She's going to be talking with us about the SLP's role in literacy, and she's also um, trained in Orton-Gillingham, which I'm sure you guys have heard of, especially if you work in the schools. So I'm excited to learn more about that. And Elizabeth, thanks so much for being on here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to join you, girls. Absolutely. So if you can start and just tell us a little bit about where you currently work and your area of expertise. Sure. So I live and work in New York City and I work in a few different um, capacities as an SLP. I've been in a public elementary school for the past 10 years in Manhattan. And like many of your school-based SLPs who are listeners already know, the goal of school-based therapy is, of course, to achieve speech-language goals, but those goals are really the foundation of education. And so we're very much measured by not only are students meeting their goals, but are they advancing academically as well in the classroom or is what you're working on the set in the sessions translating to the classroom. And what I started to find in my first few years at the elementary school was that no matter how much my students met their goals, it never really translated to the classroom because they couldn't read. And so no matter no matter how much vocabulary or oral language, it, it never carried over. And that really sparked my interest in literacy um, and why I got trained in Orton-Gillingham, which I can talk about later. Um, but since I kind of became a bit more experienced in the world of treating literacy, um, I now own my own private practice, Manhattan Speech Language and Literacy. Um, I do literacy-based therapy as well as treatment for dyslexia. And I also work at Hunter College, which is part of the City University of New York. I'm a clinical externship supervisor there. So I take interns every semester. It's really great. And I'm also an adjunct professor. I teach the reading disabilities and dyslexia course. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't realize you did all of that. That's amazing. Yes. Just so, a little bit of everything. Yeah. A little bit of everything. It's, it's really all the same in the sense that it's the same area of expertise on, mm-hmm. on language, literacy, and reading. And I'm just utilizing it in different capacities. Cool. Very cool. So I guess going off of that, um, can you talk about the role of an SLP in literacy for both pre and school age kids? Totally. And this is one of my favorite questions because it seems pretty murky if you ask other Mm -hmm. SLPs, you know, what is the role in literacy? Um, Many SLPs didn't even have graduate coursework in reading and literacy, so they would probably say that there is no role. But um, I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. And ASHA actually has a position paper called the role of SLPs in literacy for school-age children. And if you just put that into Google or ASHA's website, you can pull it up. Um, And I I have a quote here from the position paper. 
It says SLPs play a critical and direct role in the development of literacy for children and adolescents with communication disorders. So I'll definitely start out by saying SLPs have a huge role. Asha recognizes that this is a role. And so I think it's really up to us as professionals to take ownership over that role. And so how I really like to think about it is it's just a different language modality. Mm -hmm. SLPs, we tend to be really, really comfortable with oral language. This is just written language. Um, our oral input, receptive language, when it's written input, it's reading. So it's very similar. Mm -hmm. Our oral output is expressive language and our written output is writing. So there's very clear parallels. And if we start thinking about reading, writing, speaking, and listening all together as forms of language, then it seems really clear where our role is. Um, and then we can really think about oral language and literate language, how they're also really different and how SLPs are so important in helping students bridge that difference. So we think about oral language, it's much more casual, conversational, like we're doing right now. There's fillers and ums, it's on the fly, there's rephrasals. Uh, so if I were to tell you the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears right now, I'd say like, so, you know, this girl, her name was Goldilocks, and um, she went to this house, there were like three bulls sitting out, um, they're all different temperatures, and so on and so forth, but literate language is much more formal, it's decontextualized, it's abstract, and it's fluent. An example might be when she walked into the kitchen, Three bowls with soup of varying temperatures were laid out on the counter. Ever curious, Goldilocks decided to find a spoon and sample each. So clearly, students would need a much more sophisticated, you know, way to fluently process vocabulary and syntax and comprehension. So we can think about all the ways SLPs would have to support that as well. I've never even really thought about that. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I... And as soon as you said, like the classes, Rachel and I have said that before, we don't, we didn't have a literacy class. We had like grad one, school. Yeah. It wasn't even a whole class. We had mm -hmm. like a couple classes as part of our like language, overall language for right. children. Acquisition. I yeah. Think. Language yeah. acquisition. But it's, it's hard because I started, my first job was in a school and I remember teachers asking me, like, can you help with reading or mm -hmm. like, what is basically, what is your role in reading it? I was like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Even yeah. like, we know that we know that we have a role in it because it's so language based. Um, but I love the way you describe that because I just, I've always had a really, really hard time really putting words to it. So that's, that was great. I love that. Um, so getting a little bit more specific about your training, about Orton-Gillingham, um, can you talk a little bit about how that's kind of a way for an SLP to really master that literacy-based um, language therapy and how that really helps um, therapy being trained in that reading? Um, what would you call it? Like a reading specialty, I guess? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so when we think about reading, we think about decoding and mm -hmm. comprehension and SLPs, we automatically have all the tools that we need for comprehension, whether or not we recognize it, reading comprehension really naturally, just like listening comprehension falls within our scope. 
yeah. the decoding piece of reading is a bit more complex, but still very much part of an SLP's wheelhouse because it really draws upon phonemic and phorological awareness. So I know for myself in grad school, I didn't learn a ton about reading, but I learned a ton about phonemic awareness. And mm -hmm. I just wish somebody had clicked the two together mm -hmm. because if you can hear the sounds in the word, then you can just match them to the letters and then decode the word. I mean, that's, that's how we read in English. And what Orton Gillingham does is it breaks down each and every consonant, vowel, vowel team type combination and matches them to the phoneme. So um, it's multi-sensory, it's direct, it's systematic, but it's really explicit and really logical. And as speech pathologists who think about phonemes and speech sounds and how do we produce them and can you hear them and we're doing minimal pairs and auditory discrimination, that's all what Orton Gillingham is. The last piece is then matching it to a letter. So if you can hear that long A sound, you know that it's AI can say the long A sound, or maybe A constant E can say that sound. It's just kind of matching those sounds and letters. Mm -hmm. um, and then building up into words with three letters, four letters, five letters, multisyllabic, et cetera. So very mm -hmm. similar as well to articulation therapy, but now matching it really into reading. Um, so much of my training when I was trained in Orton Gillingham was like, Mm, I learned this already and yeah. I know this already and I just never really put the pieces together. So mm -hmm. if anyone is considering getting trained in Orton Gillingham who's listening, I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, that's awesome. Rachel, I think you said you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually getting trained this fall. Yeah. And I'm really excited. So I wanted to kind of ask what the training like overall kind of entails because I got like the a very brief synopsis of it. So I'm in Michigan and um, Michigan just recently changed their, the Michigan Speech Language Hearing Association just recently changed it that we can diagnose dyslexia where previously we could not. That was, you know, something that a lot of SLPs in Michigan kind of pushed for. So anyways, that's why I'm getting trained because I work at an elementary school and it's definitely a need, but I'm not really sure what it entails, like the training itself. So there's many different uh, ways to get trained. There's mm -hmm. many different training companies and training products. So I went through the Orton Gillingham Academy and I can speak really highly of that. They uh, trace their roots back to um, Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham, and they really connect to that. Um, the Orton Gillingham Academy teaches the Orton Gillingham approach rather than an Orton Gillingham based curriculum. Mm -hmm. And there are many wonderful Orton Gillingham based curriculums out there, um, such as Wilson, IMSE, Spire. There's so many, and they're fantastic too. But I was trained through Orton Gillingham Academy. So my training took 60 hours of coursework Ooh. and 100 hours of practicum. And 10 of those 100 hours were recorded in video observations. So it was a really involved process. It took me about two years to become fully certified at what they call the associate level in Wharton Gillingham. Um, I do you know, highly encourage anybody who's thinking about it to go into it and, and to reach out to me um, or maybe you, Rachel, as you're going through your training to ask more questions because it's definitely a huge time commitment and there is a financial commitment as well. But I can say with absolute certainty that it has improved my practice. It has improved outcomes for my students. I work with students with dyslexia. They are students who can read. I work with students with language disability and they are students who can read. 
And I really owe that in part to my wonderful teaching, but so much so to the Orton Healingham approach and just how powerful it is. Wow. That is a lot of training. I didn't realize that it was that much. That's very intense. Um, so I'm curious how you bring this training then into your sessions and like into the goals that you're working on with your students. Sure. So in my private practice, I work with students with dyslexia. So the goal is to improve decoding and Orton-Gillingham directly matches that goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I'm working in a school, it's a little vague, uh, especially here in New York. Most schools have literacy coaches and reading specialists who are out of classroom, just like a speech therapist. So Mm -hmm. there can be lots of overlap. Where I bring the Orton-Gillingham into my sessions is really connecting it to the phonemic and phonological awareness. So mm-hmm. I work with pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, even third grade students who are working on rhyme, hearing beginning, middle, and ending sounds. And we do all of that great stuff. And then I just connect it to the letters. So if we're isolating beginning sounds, what sound do you hear at the beginning of pig? You hear p. Okay, now let's think about the letter. It's just adding that extra piece of connecting it to text. So the goals will still be the same, you know, we'll isolate beginning sounds, identify ending sounds, vowel sounds, multisyllabic words, et cetera, but I'm always matching it to text. And so I'll add into the goal in both oral and written forms. Very cool. Yeah. So going off of that, can you talk to us a little bit about narrative-based assessments and how you do that and implement that both in your practice and in the school setting? Sure. Um, With narrative-based assessments, like anything I do now in my work, I always think about the oral language domain and the written language domain. So for an oral language assessment, I use something called slam cards, and they're available for free online. They were developed by um, researchers here in New York City at Columbia University. So I know many SLPs in New York City use them. I feel like everyone uses them where I am, but I want to share with you guys and everyone listening because they're fantastic. If you put into Google SLAM cards, S-L-A-M, and they're published by the Leaders Project, they're free to download and they're actually translatable into so many different languages, I think maybe seven or eight. And they're just a series of picture cards. You print out in color, laminate, cut them up, and give them to students out of order, ask them to put them in order. And then you listen to how they tell the story of the cards, like what is the structure and giving them just some visual cues to hook onto is helpful for students. But I also find as the evaluator is helpful because I know what they're talking about. We have the shared context and I can see if they left out details, if they're using lots of pronouns instead of labels because there's common objects, Mm -hmm. um, what the structure is like. The slam cards also have kind of guiding questions to ask as you analyze the narrative sample. So I really love using them. They're such a free, easy tool and they're great. Um, And then for written kind of narrative samples, I love using the cell five writing subtest. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's used it, but I, I love it. It gives a sentence and then half a sentence and ask the student to finish the sentence and add two or three more depending on their age. And then the self really helps you analyze like the content of the sentence and how cohesive it is and how much detail there is. And so I, I love to administer that, especially well, it's really for older students who 
who are capable of writing. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll compare both. I'll compare their, their oral language sample with their written language sample and see where are the deficits of any and then kind of design treatment from there. That's such great advice. Thank you. Because I feel like, yeah, I feel like Claire and I are both uh, Googling, right? Like I'm scrolling through the slam cards yep. and I'm like, this would be fantastic. I can think of like 10 students. This would be great for. They're yeah, so I, fun and they're, um, they only take a few minutes to administer. So when you're doing a full battery of tests, it's mm -hmm. one you can get so much information from. And it, I mean, it really takes five minutes. It truly does. It's so yeah. great. That's awesome. And that's good to know about the self-writing subtest. Cause I was actually just talking to my coworkers about this. Cause we were like, have you ever actually given this? Have you ever actually given this? Cause we usually don't unless I, I remember giving it a couple times when I worked with junior high kids in the school, but never really knowing what to do with it from there. So yeah, I I've think, never given it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's good. It's just, it's hard to know what to do with from there, especially when there are some like blurry lines between, okay, are we wor working on a writing goal? Or are we work working on a oral expression goal? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's kind of where, what trips me up a little bit. Yeah. And so you could really use it to address both, especially mm -hmm. if you administer SLAM or another oral language right. narrative assessment along with this L5 writing tool, mm -hmm. you can see are there, what are the strengths and weaknesses in oral language? And then how does that connect to written language? Right. For example, if you may have a student whose oral language is strong, but they can't get it on paper, mm -hmm. that tells you something completely different than a student whose writing is a mess because they can't tell you a story either. Um, at the same time, it can help you with just goal writing in general, if perhaps a student isn't you know, giving enough details in their oral language, and you also notice it isn't happening in their writing sample, the goal is you know, to expand utterances in both oral and printed forms, and then you can work on the oral and writing piece together. And so much of, of how I look at this is really how my training being a school-based SLP is, where mm -hmm. I, I, my evaluations are, are always tied to how a student doing in the classroom. And so I'm always thinking about oral is so important and probably the most important, but that's not really, unfortunately, what's being measured, the reading and writings what's being measured. So how can I make it kind of all connect together for the student? Yeah, that's such great advice. Thank you. That's so helpful for, I feel like some things that I'm doing right now with my students. Um, so what are some, I'm curious, I know when we talked earlier, you said you've received a lot of questions from either like graduate students or new SLPs or just SLPs in general. So we wanted to kind of let you take the stage here and give some frequently asked questions and maybe some answers to those, because I think it would really help people who are listening. Sure. I think I'm just going to return back to one of the first questions of what is the role in literacy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think in our practice, we're still at a time where SLPs just don't feel like this is something they can tackle or it's something they know that they can, but don't have the confidence or perhaps they're like me and you work at a school where there's five other reading specialists. And so there's maybe a culture of stay in your lane and you focus on this and someone else will take care of that and don't worry about it. So I really would just encourage everyone who's thinking that um, to not be afraid to take the plunge, um, whether it's considering getting trained in Orton-Gillingham or Orton-Gillingham-based approach is one way, but even smaller, simpler ways, um, if you're especially at a school, you know, talk with their reading coach, talk with their reading specialist, 
talk with the student's classroom teacher. How are they doing in reading? At the very least, I'm sure you can pull out some comprehension strategies that you're already working on for oral comprehension. That you can also connect to a written comprehension. Um, thinking about having the students take their book baggies or whatever book they're reading for independent reading from their class, bringing it to your sessions and maybe going through and finding some key vocabulary. There are lots of simple ways to start thinking about how to bring more literacy into your therapy and not be so intimidated. Because once you do open that box, you'll see, wow, this is totally something that makes sense. And it's actually stuff I've been doing all along. And now I'm just seeing the connection and able to show people. Um, and I also wanna just let everyone know that ASHA is having a virtual conference in October and it's called Reading, Writing and the SLP. And um, I think the early bird pricing ends on September 15th, but the, it will be open until October 13th, I'm guessing. So you can get it. It's um, about 15 recorded one hour sessions from different experts in the field. And one of, um, I'm planning on attending, and I was looking over before all of the topics of the presentations. And the first one is really just about the role of the SLP in literacy. So that's a really kind of no threat way. If you're just home, you're on Zoom, and you can just learn a little bit more from some of the experts at ASHA as well. Mm -hmm. I recommend doing that. And a lot of the topics from the conference seem like they'll really connect to work you're probably already doing in therapy. So mm -hmm. I know I'm really excited about attending and, and maybe other people will be too. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know about it. So <laughs> yeah, not at all. And that sounds like a very good place to like kind of start off. If you're, mm -hmm. if you have no clue where to start to approach like your connection mm -hmm. as an SLP to literacy, depending on whatever setting you're in, that sounds like a really good place to start, you know, if you're feeling lost. Yeah, exactly. Start, start at the top, start with Asha and see what they have to say and take it from there. Yeah, definitely. I have, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm still obsessing over the slam cards and I'm saying this because <laughs> Claire's a big boom card person. They turn them into boom cards also. Oh, great. Yeah. That's awesome. So good. Yeah. yeah I'm going to have to sift good. through these. I'm like, I'm like kind of trying to look, but also pay attention <laughs> at the same time. Um, but Elizabeth, I had another question for you real quick, just kind of going back to like the little, like the smaller kids. I'm curious, like for preschool, like pre-literacy kids, um, I guess I have a couple of questions. Like one, does Orton Gillingham, like does, again, I don't know a ton about it, but is there any training on like pre-literacy skills with Orton Gillingham? And then I guess, what are your recommendations as far as if we do work with like early intervention kids, kind of how to support that and educate parents on the importance of pre-literacy literacy skills? Well, working Gillingham definitely is really only appropriate for students who are capable of reading and writing developmentally and physically, okay. but mm -hmm. the prerequisites for beginning working Gillingham are intact phonemic and phonological awareness skills. Okay. So with the preschool population, I would, and the EI population, I would be thinking about rhyming words, mm -hmm. alliteration, making silly sounds, again, identifying beginning sounds and words, things like that. That will be the foundation. Many students who have diagnosed speech language impairment at an early age will enter school and eventually be diagnosed with a reading disability. Mm -hmm. So incorporating some of that into your early intervention sessions will help them with you know, language and auditory processing, but also will build a strong foundation for entering school and that they'll have all those pre-literacy skills hopefully established. 
And then I just really love um, for preschool populations, incorporating books into therapy, like literacy-based therapy. So picking a storybook and using that as a jumping off place for any other goals we're working on, whether it's vocabulary, whether it's sequencing, whether it's answering questions, whether it's following directions, using the book and bringing it into the therapy session, getting kids to hold books and turn pages and point to the letters and point to the pictures. I'm really comfortable with what books are, seeing that books can be fun, that they're important and that they're valuable. And then with the EI population, I love to do nursery rhymes because they're, of course, there's that phonemic phonological awareness piece. They rhyme, but those are stories. Jack and Jill's story. They went up the hill in the beginning. Um, they fell down the hill in the middle. And at the end, Jill came tumbling after. So there's a beginning, middle, and end of a narrative. Yeah. So, you know, if we kind of think about using nursery rhymes as stories, maybe we're not looking at books, but we're kind of building that awareness. And you could ask questions like, what should Jack and Jill do next? And what would you do if you were Jill and you came tumbling down the hill? Or how would you solve the problem of getting water? You are really working on all of those comprehension goals that will eventually be reading comprehension goals in a very age appropriate way. I love that. What a fun idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to use it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Elizabeth, I think that's all the questions we had for you. Is there anything else um, that you want to share with our listeners and where can our listeners find you on social media if they have any questions that they want to directly ask you? Sure. They can follow me on Instagram at my handle is at Manhattan underscore S L L it's for Manhattan speech language and literacy. So Manhattan underscore S L L I post a lot on literacy, literacy based therapy, dyslexia and or in Gillingham. So there's a ton of information there. You can always DM me. I love answering questions and connecting with other SLPs. And I did do over the summer a kind of remote masterclass introductory or Gillingham session. It's about two hours long. And it just was um, providing kind of like background in Orton Gillingham and some of the basic principles of the approach designed for people who are thinking about going in for the full Orton Gillingham training. But obviously it's a huge commitment. So not quite sure. Um, I hope the class is a bridge to, okay, you've taken this, now you know more about what it is and it still encourages you to go. So it is recorded and available to purchase. You can always message me for that if you're thinking about getting trained in Warren Gillingham anytime soon. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you and your time and all of the information you provided to us. We learned so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. Thank you. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow.
And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.